coat. The 1960s dawned in India a little later than they did in the rest of the world. There was no end of the Chatterley Band or the Beatles' first LP to bookmark the decade as in the Philip Larkin poem. But there was Tiger Patodi, and when he launched an attack on the England bowlers in the course of his first test century in Chennai, he shook Indian cricket. The game had been moored for too long to the 1950s with this boring, unimaginative safety first play. Tiger carried it to the modern era. End of quote. So this is Akib, uh, welcoming you to another episode of Cricket with an Accent. This is just not another episode because we will be uh, dissecting, analyzing, and reliving uh, the legendary career of Mansoor Ali Khan, also known as Tiger Patadi. And helping me unpack is uh, Mr. Ayaz Memon, uh, who promised that he'll be back for this. And seven, eight weeks later, we are here. So welcome to the show, Ayaz. Thanks. Thanks, Akib. Thank you so much. And uh, just to do the honors, the quote I described is from the short essays edited by Suresh Menon on the life and times of Mansoor Ali Khan. And this is the opening paragraph uh, from the Suresh Menon chapter himself. So, so where, where do we even begin, I ask? I know uh, this is something, uh, you know, I did a lot of time reading to do justice to this kind of a conversation. Of course, you have your own memory bank and your knowledge, your interactions with a great man. And there's a lot of uh, nostalgia. There's a lot of, uh, he's such a romanticized figure in terms of Indian cricket. So, so let me ask you first, uh, what are your associations memory-wise to Mansoor Ali Khan Patadi? Did you, I'm sure you met him many times. What is your first memory? Please share with the listeners. Well, my first memory is actually, I mean, the first test match I ever saw was uh, in 1964, uh, India versus Australia at the Brebon Stadium and Tiger Patadi, Mansoor Ali Khan Patadi was the captain of the Indian team. And, uh, you know, if you look at the scorecards, you look at the records of that match, India won that test match. Uh, I remember seeing it from the, from the Islam Gymkhana. Uh, that was my first test match. I had just got, I was maybe eight, uh, just got introduced to cricket. You know, the passion was just still building up. And I go for this match and I see India winning and I'm swept in that, you know, exultant joy that everybody experienced in the Brebon Stadium. And I remember... I was with uh, an uncle of mine who had, who had actually provided with me the tickets. I saw three days of that match, the last three days. Uh, and, you know, we kind of all jumped over the seats, ran onto the ground and went towards the CCI, Brebon Stadium Pavilion. And Pataudi came out onto the balcony along with Chandra Shekhar and the rest of the Indian team to acknowledge the the cheers of the, of the crowd. Uh, and, of course, if you, if you look back at the scorecard now, uh, you'll realize that he made two half centuries in that match. He played a very vital role. So the match was finally won by Chandu Bode and wicketkeeper Indrajit Singh. Uh, you know, it was a tight match, close contest. Uh, but that was my first kind of sighting in real life of Tiger Pathodi. I'd heard of him a little bit just when I got introduced to, to cricket. Uh, it would be either a conversation with my father who was very passionate about cricket and he would you know, rattle of names of cricketers, Colin Cowdery, Peter Mayhew, and he knew a lot about the English cricketers, but he also would mention uh, Nari Contractor uh, and Tiger Pataudi and some of the others. Subhash Gupte is one bowler he would talk about uh, and, and so on and so forth. So for me, this was in a sense my first hook into cricket. I mean, after India won that test match, the feeling one experienced uh, never left me. After that, I was a kind of a devotee for life. 
so Tiger Patoli is the first sighting there. I mean, you know, even now when I go to the CCI, I sometimes see that picture hanging on the walls of the CCI. Then all of them are the Indian players are there. Uh, and I imagine myself standing down as an eight-year-old trying to, you know, uh, just soak in that feeling of sheer joy and sheer delight that India had won a test match. Uh, and then, of course, I saw my second test match, which I saw, was also in the Brebon Stadium, which was against the West Indies. India versus the West Indies. This was a match which India lost. But again, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Tiger Pathori made a half-century in one of the innings. And he stood out for his batting. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he, was a, he was a star attraction. You know, everybody, everybody's eyes would go to Tiger when he walked on the field. He wore his cap at a certain slant. We all know why or we all came to know why subsequently at least I did. That because he had he was, you know, he had one glass eye. So he used to shield himself from the sun. Uh, but he was very sinewy, very athletic, brilliant fielder. That you could realize you know, immediately in your first or second match when you saw him. And he had a very commanding presence on the field. Uh, you know, he was not big stage in the sense he was not Six feet plus, but he had a very commanding presence, and he communicated. Was, was quite, even if I, you know, remember now, was quite appealing. Uh, there was always, in any case, captains are big draw cards in, in in the game because no other sport has a has a persona like a cricket captain in the sense that there are captains in hockey and football and all, but they are not interventionists. They are not big decision makers in cricket. The captain. Is the you know is the last I mean the buck stops with him and every decision that he makes can have an have a bearing on the match. In fact, nobody else takes decisions or should take decisions except the captain. So the captain is always constantly in focus. Whether he's changing the field, he's changing the bowlers, or he's changing the batting order or whatever. So Tiger Patauri was you know an immediate attraction for me and not just for me. I think. You know, all of India at that point in time was, uh, I, I know it might, it might sound a little hyperbolic when I use this word, but he was, I mean, almost all of India, perhaps the cricket world was besotted by him. Yeah, exactly. I think he captured the imagination of a young nation. And I also read a chapter in this book by film actor Nasiruddin Shah, who was a big cricket fan. And he was, I think his favorite was back then Abbas Ali Beg, but then he saw the picture of the Nawab in one of the newspapers and Nasir, the young Nasir would collect you know, scrapbook. Uh, he maintained a scrapbook of, you know, imagery of, you know, retired and current cricketers. And he said, you know, the consumption of Nawab back then was just, you know, as, as a young boy could imagine that he's, you know, he's playing for, I believe, Oxford and he's uh, such a talent in, in, in the waiting and Monday he'll play for India. So before even the trip started, uh, I think uh, there was a build-up. And uh, let me just ask you this. Uh, again, this is an exercise to, you know, to remember the great Patadi, and I'm already a fan. I mean, I, by just reading these essays, I mean, such an intriguing figure. But was it a colonial hangover? And with the pedigree of the Nawab himself and the, uh, the family lineage, you think uh, that was kind of the way the society approached him? There was so much mystique around him, studied and played his cricket in the higher, highest pecking order in England. And then as expected and as predicted, Captains India. Well, it's, perhaps it's a bit of that, yes, colonial handover. But let's not forget that between Pataudi Senior and Pataudi Junior, there were at least, if I remember correctly, eight or nine captains uh, of India. 
from Vijay Merchant to Vijay Hazare to Vinu Mankar and G.S. Ramchand and so on and so forth. In one series in 1958-59, India had four captains in five test matches. So, it's not that there were no captains and this seat was reserved for him. And remember, Tiger Pathodi became captain only because of a serious, life-threatening injury to Nadi Contractor. It was on tour while he was there. He had played a series against a Ted Dexter's team in India, uh, where he made, you know, made a very strong immediate impression. Nadi Contractor was the captain. And then, he was part of the touring party which went to the West Indies where Contractor got hit. And there was a you know, decision had to be made. Uh, who would captain if contractor doesn't recover, and which he didn't? So there was a you know talk whether it should be seniors like a Polly Umrigal who'd been you know who'd been around for a while, uh, or somebody else like a Chandu Bode who was senior to uh, Tiger Pathodi, or you know. And finally, they plumped for Pathodi who was just 21 plus. Now you could say that there was some kind of a colonial hangover there because who would want a 21 year old? Uh, to to captain the team. At the same time, I think his credentials had been very strong from the time he started playing schools cricket and universities cricket uh, in England. Uh, you know, news would filter through about his accomplishments. That obviously came with the with the with the aura that surrounded the Pathaudis or any royal family. So you know, there would be stories or news news information about what Pathaudi Junior was doing. And he had shaped up as a high-quality cricketer in his university days. It is, you know, it's one of those tragedies of sport, certainly of cricket, that he lost one eye in an accident and actually played his entire career with one eye. You know, he had, you know, lost 95% vision in the second eye because of a car accident. So, whatever records you you see of Tiger Pathodi, you must kind of give it this perspective that he made it with one eye. But to answer your question, I think, look. In the early 60s, obviously, there was still a lingering, uh, you know, charm and aura, perhaps even uh, awe of royalty. And therefore, that could have played a part with the selectors and, and so on. But also, I, you know, Pathodi Senior wasn't alive when Pathodi Junior became captain. I don't know if there was anybody actively pulling strings behind the scenes to make him the captain. You know, were the other royalties doing it? You know, who were in, in interest in cricket, uh, the Patialas or the Sindhyas or the Gwaliers or, or, you know, Barodas. It's not documented. It's not come through. So, I think perhaps, yes, there, is, there was a lingering awe and aura about, you know, a young royal coming up and being so good at the game. But I think the Nehri phrase that also uses that he was absolutely brilliant at the sport. So, it was not like Maharaja of Vizianagram, if you remember in 1932, in 36, when India went to England, there were these royalties trying to play for India without, you know, having... Oh, the Lala Amarnath incident? <laughs> yes. I mean, without having even, you know, a semblance of skills needed at the international level. That was not the case with Tiger Pathodi. I mean, he had earned his place in the Indian team by right and had performed very well till he became captain. He, he had a short career till then, about a year, year and a half, but he had become, you know, he had become a vital member of the team already. No, absolutely. And again, my insinuation of the word colonial hangover was more in accordance with the times. Like you said, it was not something I was being, you know, I was accusing uh, for the selection committee. I think it was just a mistake that he did play all his cricket in the uh, English conditions and that too in the highest programs. 
so let's make the comparison with his dad and then also do a Jardine touch-up. So his path to glory was pretty remarkable playing in Winchester, which is, uh, again, through my research, uh, I didn't read much about Patati Pryor, is one of the highest schooling programs in England. And then he goes to play for Oxford, captains Oxford, and then uh, plays for Sussex under Ted Dexter. So his father had the same footprints. And uh, then Patati Jr. also breaks Douglas Jardine's record uh, for scoring, I think, most runs in a season for Sussex. And the record stood, I think, more than 50 years, test of time. So uh, talk about those recollections and that connection. Uh, what you have acquired over the years of, you know, learning and interacting with Mansoor Ali Khan. Yeah. So, I mean, look, he was obviously, he had a privileged background. So, you know, the, the schools he went to, the school he went to Winchester, then, you know, he was an Oxford uh, student, student of the Oxford University, which only the most privileged went to, played for Sussex, which was one of the biggest counties. Because it, it went with lineage, because... His father had also played for Sussex. I think uh, father started off with a century in his first match, playing for England against Australia. Uh, kind of showed himself to be a man with a mind of his own. Didn't really get along with Jardine in the Bodyline series. Uh, came halfway back from the series. And then finally played for India, Captain India in 1946 in England. So he had a checkered career. In that sense, perhaps a more, uh, uh, you know, diverse career than uh, Mansur Ali Khan Tadawdi because he's, he played for and against England. Uh, and very, it must have been quite, a, quite an experience for him. Uh, remember when he captained India against England in 46, that time uh, India was on the, on the verge of uh, getting independence. So the freedom movement was in strong, you know, flowing strongly within the country. And obviously the, the royalties also had to kind of take a position, which he did. Now, I think though that where junior cricket is concerned, I think Pataudi Junior, that is Mansur Ali Khan, exceeded everything that his father had done. And while his father made a century in his first test match, uh, and Mansur Ali Khan didn't do that, he didn't make a century on test debut, I think Mansur Ali Khan exceeded his father even in international cricket, by far. Of course, he played much longer. Uh, so, obviously, the records will not show Iftikhar Ali Khan Pataudi as having made many runs, etc., etc. But when you look at just the overall impact uh, of an inability of Tiger Pataudi, it is way ahead. The advantage that Tiger Pataudi had was his father had already kind of, in a sense, left a legacy for him to follow. You know, one was a playing cricket, the other was playing cricket in England, third was going through the best school with a coaching you know, was obviously very high, of very high standard. Then going to, an, an, you know, Oxbridge student he, had been, he became and then played for Sussex all at a very young age. Uh, got capped by Sussex also very early. Uh, at maybe he was 20. So, some privileges obviously came his way, which he exploited to the best of his ability. The only unfortunate thing which happened at that point in time in his early years, say between the ages of 18 to 22, was that he lost an eye in a car accident. And uh, it became, uh, you know, in a sense, an identity badge for him because there was no other, not forget about cricketer, there was no other sportsman in any discipline, I think, who played with such a handicap. Yeah, uh, we, we'll yeah. definitely get, get to that. There's a lot to say there, I'm sure. So let me just yeah, stay on yeah. this topic one more uh, question. So again, uh, purely on merit. 
England, you know, and the cricket conditions in England and the way they ran the game was a standard, uh, you know, back then. So it it made sense that um, a, a, that a young prodigy who had grown up in these English conditions, I think he had played for Delhi in in domestic, but not much. So even merit-wise, if you have talked to the historians of the game or other people who who were there uh, covering Patodi professionally, so at least by reading all accounts, it does make sense that someone who's played at the highest level, which was county, highest domestic level, could captain India. Yeah. Because he'd learned the craft of the trade and he was a very well-read man. We'll get into that as well. Uh, he was yeah. a thinking man, man with a vision. So, Well, whether it was superior or not, I think the, the entire cricket world saw England as the superior cricketing you know, culture. It was the bastion for the sport. Uh, the MCC was located in England. It made the laws. Uh, England kind of ruled the International Cricket Conference uh, there was a lot, you know, which was attributed to uh, England for, for instance, technique. You know, the way the English defined technique was thought to be most profound and the most applicable. When you look, when you look back now, or you know, when you when you consider things now, none of those things stand. You know, uh, the the technique, the orthodox technique, is undergoing. You know, is almost turned topsy turvy now. Uh, there are ways and ways batsmen bat and bowlers bowl, which is now being seen as, you know, hey, at the end of the day, are they producing results? Are we getting runs? Are we getting wickets? So, a lot has changed now. But in the, in the in, obviously from 1947, I think from the time India started playing in 1932 till maybe, I think till the 1983 World Cup, when India shocked the world and then the next World Cup came to the subcontinent, India and Pakistan. What England said and did in international cricket held sway, more or less, you know, more or less. Just to give, I mean, aside from Pathodi, let me just give you an example. Uh, there was the, you know, uh, John Lever Vaseline ball tampering incident, which happened in India. And, uh, you know, the Indian captain then was Bishan Singh Bedi. And ultimately, what happened was John Lever got a reprimand, but Bedi lost his job. You know, so that's how. The power matrix used to exist in those days. So, what the sentiment within the cricketing circles was, English was England cricket or English cricket was almost maibab. You know, they were the guys who knew everything, and therefore, if somebody's played well there, that advantage Tiger Pathodi obviously had. He came, groomed from England, played in England in those conditions, excelled there, and therefore, the first message which was transmitted to people in India is, "Hey, he has to be really good." Having said that, when he started playing in India in his first series against Ted Dexter's team and the early series that he played, he also showed himself to be very good. You can come with whatever reputation, but if you don't deliver, if you start floundering in your first, you know, then people start, they may still not say it on your face, but there'll be a lot of backroom chatter going on. Yeah, you know, this is all, this was all, you know, exaggerated. The talent, etc., etc., and this is not worth it, which did happen with Pataudi. Sure. So let's move on to his captaincy. You know, again, uh, to a young listener or someone who hasn't paid much attention, uh, even I learned these facts. Uh, of the 46 tests he played, Mansoor Ali Khan captained India in 40 or those. This is a staggering number. So this is a quote I'm going to recite now from the chapter by Mike Coward, who was uh, interviewing Pataudi for the International Cricket Bradman Hall of Fame and asking about how difficult. Uh, the expectations were when he captained India. And this is the quote. Captain India is not very easy. 
captaining any team is not easy, but India is particularly difficult. Different backgrounds, different languages, different food habits, all those different cultures. I think the best thing to do was to remain as fair as I could and ensure that people never felt that you were being any way biased or unfair. So I think that's his legacy. And even the great Bishan Singh Bedi has talked about, you know, the respect he's had for Patodi. So if you want to unpack this quote by using some anecdotes and your own observation and what you've read, I think I'll be uh, very keen to hear your views. Yeah. So, I mean, Sakit, the first thing to understand is imagine you're a 21-year-old in a dressing room with the Indian team. That in itself is a singular honor, but also it's, it's a lot of pressure. Even if you, I mean, if you're from royalty and come with this, you know, uh, background of having been an excellent cricketer, then you've also had an eye injury. Uh, but you go out and make runs in your first few matches and therefore expectations are very high. And then you're confronted with a situation where you've lost the captain. Almost lost him. Uh, Nadi contractor almost lost his life. And you have to now take, over, take charge of the team. You're 21. So how do you do it? You know, to me, I've, I've been unable to kind of work out in my own mind, what would I do? You know, as a 21-year-old, I would have probably croaked under the pressure. What I think Pasadi did is that A, and this is important to understand, because he was so new still to Indian cricket, its machinations, its politics, even its players, how many did he know firsthand of the team that was there? He probably knew them briefly, you know, those who've been around for one or two years, not all of them very well. He'd not spent 10 years on the domestic circuit meeting these players, playing for and against them. And therefore, you understand their caliber, their character, their propensity to go along with what you're saying or not. You know, ultimately, leading a team entails good understanding of human nature, human character. It's not just about cracking the whip all the time. It won't work. So, all those things he had to work. So, I think what he chose, and this is what he mentioned to in, in that quote, that the first thing he has to do is Absorb, listen, absorb, watch, absorb, talk, see what reactions happen, absorb even further. You know, rather than kind of try and dictate things that could be done. I think that was a very smart approach. And be fair. The reason of being fair is so critical in understanding Tiger Pataudi and his legacy that he left behind. And everybody talks about it, including Bishan Singh Bedi. Is that... The Indian team or Indian cricket was, uh, you know, had uh, the, the political dynamics of playing for India were, were huge. I mean, you know, teams used to be, there was constant chopping and changing. Uh, captains, as I mentioned, used to be changed frequently. The, the tolerance level for failure was one thing, you know, that's fine. The other is that the tugs and pulls of, uh, of uh, zonal zonal influences, which zone you come from, which city you come from, which selector is from where, what does he want to do, there's favoritism. All these were factors and very strong factors. And how do you cope with them? The only way you can cope with them is by putting yourself above all of this that is happening. Of course, I think he had the advantage and a certain buffer around him that A, as I mentioned earlier, he came with a you know mighty reputation as a cricketer, but he also came with a very solid uh, kind of English orientation to the game. So people wouldn't take liberties with him easily. So that was even though he was very young. But he still had to tide over initial resentments within the dressing room 
or skepticism or you know tugs and pulls amongst players one of the things he writes in his book tiger's tale if you read it or if you if you read it is that when he first got into the position of being captain the first thing which kind of hassled him and haunted him was you know everybody in the dressing room doesn't even speak the same language and in fact there would be groups who would speak only in their own language to make sure or to ensure that another group which is speaking another language doesn't understand that would be the level of you know tugs and pulls that would be happening in the indian team now i don't mean this maliciously to the players who were there not that it was all the time there ultimately they were bound by playing cricket that was their fundamental job for being together but to kind of rally all these sandpaper over all these differences iron them out and then get people to rally behind you and become captain and remember he was captain for eight long years and it was not a spell where eight eight long eight year period where india went and won everything that is not the case but what did happen in that eight year period is that a certain identity of indian cricket started coming around very strongly for instance some of the things that he brought in you know the emphasis on fielding especially close in fielding going in for an all spin attack there was one test match in england i think in headingley it's 1967 where four all four indian spinners played but the point i'm trying to make is to make prasanna bedi chandrashekar venkatraghun match winners and not go by the orthodox thinking the the background from which he had come the english orthodox thinking was you had to have two if not three fast bowlers who would bowl with the new ball then you get in your spinners etc etc tiger patodi started after a very brief introduction to indian cricket he realized that our strength is in spin especially on indian pitches you bloody well get them off on into the fourth or fifth over don't waste time on bowling you know trying to find fast bowlers india didn't have fast bowlers he did you know? say that right uh, in the same essay that he didn't have a luxury of a kapil dev so he went with what yeah. he had best instead or of following the template imagine the current scenario where you got four fast bowlers today in the indian team who can all play in a test match and there are four more in reserve so obviously the tactics and the strategy changes and at that time it wasn't the case no i just wanted to add uh, we give clive lloyd so much uh, in west indies because the resources they had putting like four, four deadly fast bowlers in tandem after each generation and that's just such a winning formula but i think uh, the game has a tendency to lean towards that kind of a template and short chain the brilliance of the indian spin quartet and Absolutely. if you if you if you look back even i am guilty because you know as growing up we valued west indies australia that aggressive cricket more but now reading about the stuff uh, going against the grain we don't have a medium pacer we won't just play the medium pacer for the heck of it let's go with four spinners and that's deadly that i mean <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely no i think in that sense he was ahead of the curve you know he was ahead of his time he thought differently you know there were people who poo-pooed that thing that you know how can you have only an all spin attack including within india you know and the selection committee and etc etc i mean i've seen him i've seen him open the bowling with not just jessima who was actually a you know a regular trundler budhi kundran who was wicket keeper or a batsman has opened the bowling sunil gavaskar has opened the bowling for india wow just so, to bowl a couple of balls to get the shine off exactly so let's uh, look at patodi's captaincy so we discussed uh, the value of fairness because you know as a young man he had to lead a, ta- a team that had so many seniors few ex captains so to command that and you explained that quite well so the other thing that i uh, covered uh, 
while reading on these Patavi essays was uh, the you know the importance of merit. So he didn't believe yeah. uh, believe in the horses for courses analogy. He believed to play his best eleven anywhere. So that was his way. If you are the best at your craft, you should be in the eleven. So that I believe must have simplified, you know, some of his det- uh, you know detraction that was coming. That you know how he's captaining the side and. I think that's one element he gave Indian cricket was, you know, you play on merit because the 14 that were given to him were by the selectors and then he had his way. Who gets into yeah. the playing 11? I think that's important. He did that, yes, merit. I think what's even more crucial is that he didn't do, you know, skullduggery. He didn't go behind people and, you know, talk about one to the other and say, you know, this guy saying that just to, you know, which insecure people can do. I think his sense of Self-security was very high. And though he came from, obviously, a royal background, I think he had the, the ability to, you know, be like everybody. Be like, in, like every cricketer in the, in the, in the Indian system. Uh, he didn't take his privileges of a royal background too seriously, I think. He may have in his private life, you know. He had his property to look after and his legacy and his kingdom. He may have done that. But on the field... He was, he understood the concept of sport. You know, he was a great, uh, I might just add here, he was a great sports person. Great ball sense. Uh, he's played very high level of field hockey. He used to play in the Aga Khan Cup at, at, at the Bombay Gym Khan. He was a fantastic squash player. Imagine with one eye. He used to do it for fitness. He was a very good, uh, you know, billiards and snooker player. So, he was at his core, Somebody who understood sport and understood sporting merit. And he was, the fairness part was that, you know, there's no chaplus giri. You know, I'll go and stroke somebody behind his back and badmouth somebody else so that he becomes my part of my coterie and this, that and the other. I think he kept himself away from that and aloof from that. And gradually that kind of thing filtered through that, you know, and look, he was articulate. He had this royal aura, of course, so people couldn't take him lightly. And I think he spoke, you know, clearly. He didn't hum and haw. He spoke his mind. He spoke clearly. If he had reason to revise his tactics, if, it, if they had flopped, he would say that they flopped. You know, I mean, we made a mistake. Let's do something else. I think that kind of won him over uh, the, 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 the players he largely played along with, you know, and then those players who grew, grew along with him, uh, you know, by the time the series ended in the West Indies in 1962, Paul Umrigar was retired, the senior most player then. Uh, and there was a whole bunch of youngsters that came in, including Pedi, Prasanna, Chandra Shekhar. There was his old you know, friend from Hyderabad, or two friends actually, Abbas Ali Beg and MLJ Sima. But they were almost the same age, around the same age. So there was a whole new breed of cricketers coming in, a little more professional in outlook because Patari himself came from an English background of, of cricket where, you know, in county cricket, professionals play and there's a certain way they approach the game. I think that Patari was far more adventurous than the typical county professional of those days. He was far more professional because remember, in the 1960s is when, and late 50s and 60s when English county became, you know, terribly dull and that finally led to the, the emergence of one-day cricket or limited overs cricket. But that's a different story. I think Tiger Patari in his own way, sussed out that, that, you know, you play fair, you think ahead. And whatever decisions you have to take, you do it without compunction. 
So whether it's to play three spinners. The other thing which you did, played, paid a lot of emphasis on close and fielding, you know. I mean, uh, it, it brought fruition in the 70-71 series in West Indies and England when India won, you know, back-to-back test series. The close and fielders supporting the spinners, Ajit Wadekar, Eknath Solkar, Venkat Raghavan, Abid Ali, those field placings, that emphasis on closing fielding, all started in the Patavdi era. Yeah, we, we'll definitely get to that, you know, the era where he missed three straight years. But let's stick a little more to the captaincy. So I'll go back to the same interview with Mike Coward of the Bradman Hall of Fame, and he asked Patavdi about instilling self-belief. And before I begin the quote, I mean, in this generation, we give Saurav Ganguly so much credit uh, in, in a lot of instances, rightfully so, of, you know, bringing uh, self-belief and, you know, aggressiveness uh, in the Indian camp when he took over the reins. So this is what Patati's response was. Quote, well, India, I mentioned earlier, had just achieved independence. We were lacking a certain amount in confidence, especially against the white races. And I think my first job was to ensure that this kind of complex was dissolved pretty quickly. End of quote. So now that's as powerful a thing, because if we study cricket and uh, go back in that time, this is where the colonial hangover was at its peak. And you have those, you know, shadows still looming because cricket was, you know, an English game. And now you have a young Indian team competing against, you know, the powerhouses. This is where I think the self-belief is legendary. And even if you say win 23% of your test matches, so be it. I think that's how yeah. the progression no, no, I think started. It's a, it's, a, it's a very powerful, powerful quote, Sakib. And I'll tell you, in, in, a, in a way, it tells you exactly or in many ways, what Pataudi's personality was at that point in time and subsequently. Now, look at it this way. He's talked of the sensibilities and the sensitivity of, you know, Indian being, in a, being under a complex of the white race or the white people, especially the English, because they had been the colonial masters for so long. And then India gets independence. And he's a young boy. He's growing up, eight, nine years old, seven years old then. And, uh, you know, growing into a system where we are still coming to terms with our own independence. And why it's important? Why do I say it's important? Because he comes with the benefit of an English education, the academic education as well as the cricketing education, which even in the late 50s and early 60s was thought to be paramount. It's the best in the world, so to speak. The the education, academic education as well as the cricketing education. But what Tiger Patari is actually saying is, he wants to break the shackles of that complex. Having lived there, he could have reaped the benefit of that complex and become, you know, kind of overawed and overshadowed everything else that the rest of the Indian cricketers were thinking about or the system was thinking about. To the contrary, he goes and says, we need to get out of this complex. We have to follow our own identity of the way we play and understand cricket. So that's a very powerful statement, you know. In my and, opinion. And, and like you just said, I mean, in a way, he was best suited because he was part of the English cricket system and exactly. culture. We understood. And, we understood the system. Yeah. We understood why they had to get out of this mindset to find their own place in, in, the, in the cricketing universe, apart and, from every other aspect of life. In, in, in a way, not like a bit of like tongue-in-cheek, but he probably also knew that by bringing in four spinners, he's challenging the conventional way the game is played. He's challenging the playbook. Exactly. He was ahead of the curve. He was bold. And he, in a sense, he's mocking orthodox thinking, isn't it? Conventional thinking at that point in time, which said you must have, you know, two fast bowlers, a backup medium pacer, maybe one spinner. I mean, two spinners would be a luxury, you know. And then protect the runs and protect, you know, 
this guy got bowlers who were flighting the ball, trying to entice batsmen, getting their wickets. And India, what he what he tapped into, let's not forget that India's rich heritage in spin bowling. Whether it's a Vinu Mankad, you know, India's first Test match win came because of Vinu Mankad in 1951. Gulam Ahmed, Subhash Gupte. I mean, these were guys, they are legendary figures. And we were ignoring, in a sense, not ignoring these kind of bowlers, but ignoring, in a sense, where our richness in cricket lay. And why not use that, more of that, rather than going to what the conventional thinking told you? Yeah. So, he, he was, again, you know, as astute as he was, uh, he was uh, pretty, how do I say it? He didn't see himself as a man who led from the front. And this is coming from his interview with Sambit Pal for Crick Info, I believe, from 2002, when he described two types of captains. First category was men who led from the front, like the Don Bradmans, Gary Sobers, and Richie Benos. And then there were men who pushed from behind by getting uh, the maximum out of their uh, teammates with Mike Brearley, Ray Lingworth, and he himself put, in that, uh, put himself in that category. So yes. how do you see this uh, categorization? From Patodi, did you ever get a chance to speak with him on these lines? If not, have you read a more elaborative view? No, no, I, I did. Of I this? did speak to him. I did speak to him because I remember this interview also by Sambit. Uh, so look, Patodi, if you look at his career trajectory, he had a you know blazing start. Of his six hundreds, I think three came in the first two years, or four. Four of them maybe may have come in the first first four years, first three four years, and then. He realized, look, Bowlers also realized that, you know, he's handicapped by one eye. There are issues. His career average of 34 point whatever is, is you have to juxtapose it with what the circumstances and the situations and the, the handicap in which he made them. But he realized that he's not going to be, you know, Garfield Sobers, certainly not a run Bradman to make runs with that propensity. Or even, a, you know, Dennis Compton or one of these guys. He is going to be restricted in the way he will, you know, his career will pan out as a batsman. And therefore, I think he also realized, and perhaps he enjoyed it even more once he became captain at a very young age, that he could be a, he could be the, the conceptualizer, the planner, the plotter, the mentor. You know, these were attributes. This is what I asked him. I asked him which role he enjoyed most when he was captain. And he says, you know, young players, to deal with them, to tell them what cricket meant. To understand from them how they saw cricket, things like that, like a Solkar, Ashok Mankar, uh, you know, Sunil Gavaskar at a later stage, Gundappa Vishwanath certainly. So that's towards the latter half of his career. Uh, but I thought that he was extremely good with spinners, uh, and they all love him even now. Whether it's a Bishan Singh Bedi or a Prasanna or a Chandra Shekhar, they all swear by him. Even the Venkatraguna is because he listened to them. He didn't tell them, "I'm captain." You know, you're only a bowler. You have to listen to me. He said, I'm the captain, but I need to understand. You know, you, you know your craft better than I do. So, I think that was a, you know, with the growth in media, with growth in, growth, you know, massive growth in uh, the popularity of the game and more and more players. We know everything about everybody. Different captains in the modern era obviously assume a great deal more importance than some of those in the past. But I think that Pataudi's influence to me, remains magnificent and yet to be overshadowed, in my opinion. Don't go by the win and loss record. You have to, because that, you have to then define it by era. The era in which we played. 
the first overseas victory that India ever got was under Tiger Patel in New Zealand. So, some of the bravest performances, like for instance in the 67 tour uh, against Australia, we lost 0-4. But some of the bravest performances there came from the Indian team at that in that in that series, you know. Uh, but Patel himself batting the way he did by Jaisima and so on. So, I think we have to see it necessarily his era as a time when Indian cricket was coming of age, you know, understanding its own place in the in the matrix, power matrix of cricket, getting over its massive complex about playing anywhere else in the world. Yeah, and, I think, uh, yeah. if I may interrupt, yeah, uh, there's a famous anecdote, I think, by Ian Chappell, it's also in the essays here by Suresh Menon, where Chappell said when he first saw Patodi, uh, I think it was the uh, innings in Melbourne, I believe, uh, he scored 75 and 85 and this time he, he had injured his groin. So, Chapel, imagine if this man had both legs working and both eyes, you know, what a phenomenon he would be. And the other observation Chapel says is every time Patadi came out to bat, he had a different bat. And then Patadi was asked by Chapel, and Patadi never carried his own bat. He said he would just grab yeah. the bat that was nearest. I mean, this yeah. is like kind of... <laughs> I don't yeah. even know what to make of it. I mean, but it, it also defines the era, right? It defines the era in which India played, or he also played, or, or cricket was played. I mean, you know, today it's a very uh, sanitized, hygiene-driven environment. Their support staff is twenty in number. You got the coach, so many other coaches, the masseur, this that. You know, everybody kits you. I mean, the the sports goods manufacturers or kitting you. You know, you want one bat, they'll give you ten. In those days, you didn't have that privilege. And Pathodi may have had the privilege that he had the money, perhaps, the wherewithal to buy. But, you know, he was he was not lackadaisical. He was easygoing. He was not finicky. He said, I could make runs, you know, even if it's not my own bat. So, those are things that, they, they add to the charm of the Pathodi story. Uh, you know, I, I, I must, I don't know if you also read this quote. I was just reading it recently. That uh, about some innings that he had played, uh, and you know about getting the better of England, and he says, you know, uh, what if you had both eyes? So he said, you know, to beat England or to get the better of England, one eye is good enough. I don't need both. <laughs> yeah, there is another one. <laughs> when I think in the book, someone asked him, when did you know you were good enough for uh, to play Test cricket? He said, the moment I saw English bowling. <laughs> Correct, exactly. So he had, look, he had a great broad sense of humor. I must relate something to you. I mean, he was, he, he was also a very shy man, in a sense, on the field, outside of his own. Uh, I would imagine, you know, imagine he's a superstar uh, in India, Tiger Patodi, royal background, married to Sharmila Tagore, who has been, uh, you know, a film actor of of eminence, uh, yeah. India cricket captain, always, always a very you know, exalted position to be in. And he's not the, you know, guy who just hangs around, hangs loose freely. Now, and I'm just going back in time. So, I wanted to meet, you know, we were all growing up to be hero worshippers of Pataudi in the 60s. And I must have been 13 or 14 or 15 maybe. And uh, I told my, he used to come to Bombay Jimkana in Bombay. In those days, I think he used to also live in Bombay and Delhi. He used to alternate. Uh, and, you know, he would play for the Bombay Gymkhana in the Aga Khan Cup hockey. He would play squash there. He would play billiards there. So, in the afternoons, he would be in the bar. I told one of my friends, somebody who I knew, who used to work in the Bombay gym, 
I said, you know, I've heard he comes every day, so I need to get his autograph. So I was not a member of the Bombay Gymkhana. And he said, look, I can't even smuggle you into the, into the bar because you're not 18. I must have been maybe 14 at that time. But I was sprouting a healthy moustache. So one day I decided to kind of pencil, black pencil my moustache, grow my sideburns and pretend as if I'm, you know, eligible to get into the bar. I called, my, I told my friend earlier that I'll come on this, this day at this time when he comes into the bar at the lunch break. I went and met him. He was sitting there on a stool at the bar. And uh, I quickly thrust a piece of paper and a pen in front of him and I said, Sir, can I have your autograph? So he looked at me from, you know, turned towards me without speaking a word, signed and turned back, you know, to whatever he was doing at the bar, uh, not paying any, any attention to me. I ran out, you know, not wanting to be caught by the Bombay Jimkhana people. Many years later, in fact, I must tell you, this may, this may have been maybe about a year, year and a half, two years before he passed away. I reminded, I, to, I told him about this incident. And uh, I said, you know, you didn't even say a word to me. I thanked you. Uh, you know, he says, look, I was always very wary of, you know, uh, he didn't remember, of course, that I had asked for an autograph. But I was always wary of people just walking up to me and asking for me. Autograph is not an issue. But I was just a very shy man. And when I was, you know, when I was alone, I just thought, you know, this is my place. I'm alone here. And I would get startled if somebody came and kind of broke that aloneness or that loneliness. Which I thought was quite an interesting anecdote for him to tell me that, you know, that outside of his playing fraternity and his close circle of friends, he could be quite reticent. Uh, he was not a withdrawn personality. He had a great sense of humor, as I told you. I mean, everybody knows that uh, episode, which is written by actually Gavaskar in his book, Sunny Days, I think, where he called them to Pataudi, his estate, uh, and the team went there. Uh, and Gundapa Vishwanath was the young player who was, who was captured by bandits. And, you know, kind of ropes, his hands and legs were tied by ropes and uh, he started pleading with them not to do anything to him. And he said, finally, you know, I'm an India player. He had played, of course, for India under Pataudi. He said, I'm an India player. I'm a cricketer. Please don't do this to me. And finally, they all realized that those bandits were actually Pataudi's people. There was no bandit. These were all guys. Pataudi had played a prank. He had played a prank. He had done... So he was a prankster with people he knew. He was... Uh, just to share another, you know, again in his very late day, I think this was 2010, we had a, we had a session in Delhi where, uh, you know, we spoke on Indian cricket, etc. I think he had just given up being part of the governing council of the IPL. And uh, so there was a debate. I was moderating actually that debate uh, between, there was, there was Bedi, there was Kapil Dev, etc. who came and spoke, we had sessions. And Pathodi, of course, gave a keynote address. And one of the lines he mentioned, which was, I thought, so apt and also so funny. So he said, you know, on the, on the one hand, the ICC is the voice of cricket or trying to be the voice of cricket. And the BCCI is becoming the invoice of cricket. Because <laughs> the whole focus was on how to make more and more money. You know? Yeah, so I, I, I couldn't think of anybody who could have put it better. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, whatever I've read, that sounds so typical. So let me, that, that brings, <laughs> that's funny though, that brings me to the question I've been wanting to ask, 
uh, he clearly said that uh, in an interview why he didn't want to uh, be part of BCCI because that meant politics, that meant elections, that meant exchange of favors. And uh, he has no regrets that he didn't have a bigger hand in administering cricket in India after his playing days. So what's your take on that after your exchanges with him and uh, how he saw the game's uh, you know, template after he had uh, stopped playing cricket and the growth of cricket in India? So look, uh, you know, there, are, there is a, you know, a category of players who don't get involved in administration of Indian cricket. Earlier, we all know how politicized it used to be and even otherwise. So I'll give you examples. Tiger Pataudi never became selector or DDCA president or BCCI president or a secretary or treasurer or whatever. Uh, neither did, never became a selector. Neither did Tiger, uh, Sonil Gavaskar. Neither has Sachin Tendulkar except in that when he got a, you know, they were part of that group, he, Saurav and uh, Lakshman of a special category to choose the, the, cap, the coach of the Indian team. But they're not active BCCI representatives. Even Rahul Dravid is not an office bearer. He is the head of the NCA, National Cricket Academy. These are guys who have kept themselves aloof for reasons of personality and also, you know, you don't want to get sucked into that vortex where I think that, you know, you don't know who's spinning you which way. There are people who enjoy it or people who get into it. And, you know, I'm not, there's no judgment call on either side. Uh, I mean, Saurav Ganguly is currently BCCI president. Uh, Vishen Singh Bedi has been, you know, involved with Delhi District Cricket Association politics, has been selector, etc., etc. So, these are all uh, personal choices. But I think when Pataudi also got the rough end of it at one point in time, remember that he was uh, removed as captain by the casting vote. Uh, he's had his, I would imagine, run-ins in, with selectors in trying to find out uh, or trying to get players of his choice in that every captain goes through. But by and large, till the 80s and 90s, a lot of the former players wanted to keep away from administration. Now what has happened subsequently, even becoming a selector, for instance, now is a paid job. So people are wanting to become selectors because there's money in it. Earlier it was an honorary job. You know? So now there are people who want to be CEOs of state associations because it's a paid job. A former cricketer can become a CEO of a cricket association. Maybe the actual office bearers can't. So things have changed. I think Pataudi kept himself out of that. What he thought was he didn't want to swim in murky waters. Much like a lot of people after him have also done. True. So you mentioned something with uh, his axing there in, earlier in the podcast. So let's bring in Vijay Merchant. You know that in famous or famous vote when Ajit Vardikar took over and then Pataudi didn't play cricket for three years till he was again recalled. So what does that tell about anyone who's listening or reading about that kind of incident that happened? So throw some context in there and uh, how strong of a disagreement it was that... Uh, and let's also clarify, was he axed from captaincy but he could still have been a team member or was he also dropped? So shed some light on that era, the Vardikar Patodi exchange in captaincy. So I, that, was a, that was a very, uh, you know, interesting phase in actually in Indian cricket history. And Indian history. You know, remember that was a time when banks were nationalized, privy purses were abolished, etc., etc. All happened in 1969-70, that period. 
uh, and and uh, you know Vijay Merchant was the chairman of the selection committee, and he brought in this. Uh, his philosophy was catch them young. He brought in all the young players who wanted to bring in, uh, starting with Vishwanath and Solkar and then Gavaskar and Ashok Mankar, etc., etc. And uh, I think he wanted a change in the captaincy. I thought he felt that you know Indian cricket was not moving ahead under Pathodi, so he wanted a change in captaincy, which was quite. You know, a, a radical move given the setup that he'd been there for eight years as captain. And remember, it was the, the selection committee was decided down the middle. It was two-two. So Vijay Merchant used his casting vote at that point in time uh, to 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 swing the thing in in favor of uh, swing the decision in favor of Ajit Wadekar. So I think one has to understand the turmoil going around in India at that point in uh, point in time to. To give it a little perspective, all these things were happening simultaneously. There was this, you know, the the royal families of India were being cut to size, so to speak. There was, you know, nationalization of banks, this, that, and the other. Where the common average Indian was finding his place in the scheme of things, so to speak, politically. And obviously, there was this. Uh, there was a decision which impacted the cricket captaincy. Whether Pathodi wanted to go to West Indies or not, I think he took, or would have been selected or not, is, is is interesting, but it's academic because he announced that he's not available. Now it could be because he was miffed at being the captaincy being stripped off, he being stripped off the captaincy, or it may just have been at that point in time. Remember, he was now almost, you know, pushing thirty. In those days, cricket careers wouldn't go on to thirty-eight, thirty-nine. Very few did. Uh, and he was also, you know, handicapped with one eye. Was he thinking of another career? Perhaps he also got briefly into politics. You know, at that point in time, uh, didn't make any headway in politics. So, I think that, you know, if you ask me, I think he was a little miffed and peeved that, not that the, you know, you may be dropped from the captaincy. That's fine, but the manner in which it was done, perhaps I don't think he appreciated that. So, uh, before we wrap this up, uh, we have to do the hypothetical counterfactual exercise. Uh, yeah. Simaram, who had worked for the Hindu, had also a big chapter in this book, and he said, "You know, this is one instance where you can't really escape the what ifs had there not been that you know unfortunate car accident." And he even goes in a counterfactual exercise: if Patadi had all faculties working, he would have been in the same test batting average neighborhood of the Gavaskar, Dravids, and Tendulkars. So, what do you think of that? And I'm sure you are a cricket fan in heart. First, so have you had these kind of conversations? So, what is the consensus in the cricket industry when you view that statistic? Batting with one eye, open stance. He changed his stance after the accident, and then he was. Uh, Ted Dexter said he was uh, very comfortable at picking the fast bowler. It was. Yeah. Spin bowling or slow variations that challenge him. So wrap that answer up in your experience when you have gone in this bar stool conversation. What if if the Nawab had both eyes when he played yeah. his entire career? So there are two perspectives. One is my own, which is that suppose he had both eyes. Well, how would he have been as a as a cricketer? What would his record have been? Better, I certainly think so. I think in fact it would have been far far better than. What what it is, and certainly I share that sentiment that he could have been, you know, uh, averaging fifty, fifty plus, whatever. The average is not the important part. I think that the accumulation of the number of runs you would have made, 
and uh, you know you could have a 48 average and have made 6000 runs so and that would have been great you know even neil harvey has got an average of 48 and he was a great aussie batsman so i certainly think so but interestingly i asked patodi that uh, the tiger you know <laughs> amongst the many conversations i had and i met him a lot you know uh, towards the end of his uh, life we all know he went quite suddenly actually and unexpectedly but in the last few years just as an aside i might tell you that uh, i was we were working on a book i was i had kind of conceptualized a book with rasim dungarpur called the history of indian cricket well different phases you know 20 year periods would be done by different people written uh, and patodi was to be one of them to write you know from say from the 60s to the 80s uh, that that two decade period uh rasing himself writing from 47 to uh, 60 anyway so i you i used to meet him frequently then and i asked him i said you know everybody says that or believes that if you had both eyes your uh, uh, you know your record would have been far greater so what do you feel so he turned around and he told me if i had both eyes i wouldn't have struggled to pick up a glass of water you know so <laughs> you know that's how uh, droll he would be uh, he was he was uh, he wasn't kind of i won't say arrogant but he wasn't so he wouldn't tout himself as somebody who had oh i could have done this if i had both eyes if i had not injured myself you know there are players who might tell you if i had not pulled my hamstring i would have made double hundred on that flat pitch he was not the kind of guy who would talk like that he would turn it into a bit of a joke he would turn it into you know you ask him these sometimes these vexing or vexatious questions which haunt all of us as cricket followers and cricket lovers and he would come up with a one liner because he written in his book remember <coughs> that how did he realize his limitations of playing cricket that he put a bottle uh, i mean a glass of water on a table and when he tried to reach out he found that he missed it by a, a few inches a couple of inches and that's when he realized what correction he had to make in his stance and the way he judged the line etc etc so when i asked him this he you know he brought it down to that that thing you know that how do i pick up a glass of water he says if i had a glass if i had both my eyes perfect i would never have struggled to pick up a glass of water from the from the from the table but implicit in that is my argument that if he had been able to pick up the glass cleanly without any hassle then he would have certainly made scores and scores of runs more than what he did yeah i think it's very profound and in uh, in again that's for folks like us the fans and you know the writers to discuss uh the proud man never wanted to indulge or let that handicap get in the way he wanted to be an equal while competing at the highest of levels and uh, i think that probably also gave birth to the legend and you know of a more mystique figure and then uh, more importantly I, in my humble view that also probably pushed him harder on the strategy and the and the and the vision part of the game where he started becoming the legendary plotter and you know uh, the rise of indian cricket you know started think, on I, on his watch i i think i think he was a deep thinker uh, you know i've been you know i've been speaking to somebody like a ravi shastri who is the current coach and ravi is you know much much junior to patadi but uh, he says that you know if you spent one hour with patadi it was like getting 5 years education in cricket hmm yeah, so that go ahead you know that's a very profound statement to come from somebody like 
Ravi Shastri. Uh, and so I, I think that he was a deep thinker. I think that for whatever reason, you know, Indian cricket could have been richer with his particip- greater participation. Not that he didn't, but greater part- participation post his playing career uh, in, in affairs of cricket, whether it is, uh, you know, not about becoming an office bearer or selector, maybe selector, yes, perhaps, but even dealing with younger players in the mentoring and all, which we all talk of now and we, you know, we talk so much about it as being of great value. What we have now is, of course, a Tiger, you know, Mansur Ali Khan Memorial Lecture every year by the BCCI, where, you know, leading lights in the cricket world come and talk about issues, etc., etc. But I think somewhere he could have contributed a lot more or he should have been able to contribute a lot more. Okay, so before we put a wrap on this, any message to a young fan who's more intrigued about Patadi? So what do you say? Of course, you can Google a lot of stuff. Any recommendations on what someone may want to read? Of course, I read that book by Suresh Menon and uh, uh, please fire away what you think uh, if someone is more interested in taking a deeper dive into the life and times of I, I, think, I think amongst the most romantic cricketers you know, in the world, not just in Indian cricket, uh, an inspiration to people in ordinary life who, who see sometimes a physical handicap uh, or a medical handicap as a severe limitation as to what you can do. I mean, Patawdi is a shining example of what you can do uh, in international, at the international level with such a serious handicap. I can't think of, in today's day and age, somebody even being considered to play at the first-class level, leave aside the international level, if you got just one eye. And he did it. He did it with a great degree of success and with the minimum of fuss. And that is very important to understand. He never made it an excuse to say, oh, you know, I, I've got out because I couldn't see the ball. He never said that. Only when he retired, he said, I was misjudging the line and I knew it was time to go. And that's, that tells you Something about the metal of the man. I think he's also amongst the most influential cricketers in the game, certainly in Indian cricket. Somebody who's been captain for eight years on the trot obviously means a lot in the, in the historical sense and the legacy value. And I think apart from that, I think whoever he kind of uh, touched and he met and you know, he left an impact because either you loved him for his sense of humor or you know, he was not bitter. He was not malicious. He didn't carry grudges. He, didn't, he was not vindictive. He was not trying to settle scores. You know, he never got into anything where it gave, you, you, you could say this is a situation where somebody settling scores. He, in fact, abstained from it. He ran far away from it. He played for the love of the game. He played it superbly. And I think he's left a, 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 what I think is still a magnificent legacy, which... Uh, you know, students of the game need to get back to understand uh, the Pataudi legacy. It's not just a legacy. In my opinion, he's been a phenomenon. No, I think very well said. So, let me end this uh, conversation with another quote from Ted Dexter. Uh, this is uh, Dexter uh, again uh, talking about how he uh, met Pataudi again when he was captain in India. So, quote begins. I captained the MCC side in Pakistan, India and Sri Lanka in the winter of 61-62 and it was scarcely believable that there he was in the flesh with no quarter asked or given. In the same way as we applaud and admire young soldiers wounded in warfare for their stoical endurance and courage in the determination to get on with life without complaint, 
Hair too was an extraordinary case, deserving of nothing but the highest possible esteem. End of quote. So yeah, this is pretty much a very fun exercise. I learned quite a lot. And thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, you've been so nice since, uh, you know, we exchange uh, phone numbers and uh, you've been very accommodating for someone like me who is trying to do this podcast. So once again, I ask thank you for your valuable time. This was a wonderful experience. Thank you, Shakib. I completely enjoyed this. Talking about one of my favorite cricketers. Thank you. 